Would you join me in praying? Father, as we open your word together, would you please open our hearts and our minds to receive, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help transform us that we might be more like Jesus? We ask this in his holy name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Back in 1173, construction started on a bell tower for a citadel. That construction went on for about five years, and they got to the third floor, at which point it was very noticeable that the tower had started leaning. It had been built on clay, and the weight made it begin to tilt. So the architects, the builders, decided to begin to build the side that was leaning a little taller than the rest of it to see if they could even out the floors as they went up. But the weight of the masonry caused it to continue to lean. The Leaning Tower became the most famous thing in the town. Not the Citadel or anything else, but the Leaning Tower of Pisa. They stopped in 1360 thinking that it may just fall, and it would sit there for many, 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 many years. And every year, it would lean approximately 1.2 millimeters further. Until in 1990, when they had to close it, because up to that point, a million visitors a year were climbing its almost 300 steps. And it was 15 feet off of perpendicular. If you can imagine how far that thing was leaning, and at any moment they thought, this thing is just going to fall. And so they closed it for 11 years, spent millions of dollars, and they got it to move just a little bit more back, and they hoped, braced it enough that it wouldn't fall, and then in 2001, they opened it back up. How important is the foundation on which you build? That foundation, it does not matter how beautiful. This is a 190-foot white marble beautiful tower. doesn't matter how beautiful it is. If the foundation is off, it's going to lean. And eventually, if something is not done, it's probably going to fall. This morning, I want to talk about a very important foundation for our worship and our spiritual lives, something that should permeate how we worship and how we live our lives in service of Jesus. It's actually a foundation piece I will talk about for the next three weeks because it is core to the Anglican mission in America. AMIA, the Anglican mission that we are looking to affiliate with. It's called the Three Streams. This is the foundation. Scripture, sacrament, spirit. Those three elements. Not just things that we should know about, 
but a foundation for how we live and how we worship. Scripture, sacraments, and spirit. This morning, I want to talk about the scriptures. And to begin with, um, here's what I hope to do in each one of these messages. I would like to define that particular element. So we're going to talk about the nature and purpose of scripture. But I also want to ask the question, what might this look like if it were implemented more into our lives? And then I want to leave you with a question. What might need to happen in your life for this to be a more, more of a foundation, more of something you were living out of? So I want to start, since we're good Anglicans, I want to start with the 39 Articles of Religion. So back in the Reformation, as people were figuring out their particular branch of Christianity, whether you are Luther or Calvin or Zwingli, or in our case, Thomas Cranmer, there was a statement of belief that came out of this. For Anglicans, it ended up being called the 39 Articles. It started out as 42, but eventually got reduced to 39. And these articles are a statement of a couple of things. Number one, what is it that really all Christians should hold to? Number two, what is it that we as Reformation Anglicans leaving the Catholic Church, how are we different from Catholic doctrine? And then lastly, what are some specific broad Anglican things? Now, we're not going to read all 39 articles because I'm pretty sure you'd fall asleep if I just started reading them. You might fall asleep anyway, but I'm going to give you a shot by not reading all of them. I want to read from Article 6 only. Article 6 is entitled, Of the Sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for Salvation. This will give you an idea of how the 39 articles define the nature of Scripture. What is the Bible? Holy Scripture, and I'll go ahead and keep some of the you know, King James English in here. Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man, that it should be believed as an article of the faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. If you cannot find it in the Bible, you should not demand anyone believe it, nor should it be required for salvation. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't really good traditions that we practice. It just means if it's not in the scriptures, it should not be required of anyone to be believed, nor be thought of necessary for salvation. In the name of the Holy Scripture, we do understand those canonical books of the Old and New Testament of whose authority was never in any doubt in the church. And then it goes on to list the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament that you will find in any modern Bible today. And it says those are the scriptures that we give this authority to. Secondarily, 
Thomas Cramner wanted to make sure that people who had not been really hearing the word of God because all the services were in Latin, he wanted to make sure that they learned the word of God. And so there's something called the Book of Homilies. It was a series of sermons that were to be preached in the church every year. And it taught the very basics of the faith. That way, people who had not been reading scripture or hearing services in their own language would learn the foundations of Christianity. In the book of homilies, there is a particular sermon on scripture. Here's part of what it says. To a Christian man, there can be nothing either more necessary or profitable than the knowledge of the Holy Scripture. For as much as in it is contained God's true word, setting forth his glory and also setting forth man's duty, we learn of the glory of God and we learn what it is we as believers are to be about in our lives. Therefore, as many as be desirous to enter into the right and perfect way unto God must apply their minds to no holy scripture without the which they can neither sufficiently know God or his will, neither their own office and duty. If you want to follow God, you need to know God's word, is what it is saying. Because within God's word is who God is and what God is asking of his people. His way is laid out in his word. So the more we know his word the more possible it is to follow in his ways and to know him. So, both in the 39 articles as well as in these homilies that were produced, the nature of scripture is seen as God's true word, the only thing necessary for men to believe, men and women to believe, the only place where we find what we truly need for salvation and how we learn who God is and how we serve him. That is the nature of the scriptures. Now, in the Bible itself, what you heard today coming out of 2 Timothy is a great passage on the nature of scripture. I'm going to reread just a couple of the verses and I want you to listen carefully. But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, very similar to the articles. This is where you're going to find salvation. But then he says this in verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, here, its origin is God. God is the one who has given to us his word. All scripture is God-breathed. We're going to talk about the rest of it. I, I love Paul's use of this particular word here, and is useful. Now just think about that word for a moment, how mundane that word is. When you think of useful, I don't know, I think of a screwdriver. It's useful. But Paul calls God's word 
useful. In the same sentence where he calls it inspired or God-breathed. So is there a place for us to stand when we read the gospel, to make the sign of the cross, to have all of this reverence for the word of God? Absolutely. However, if you aren't using the word of God for your daily life, it doesn't matter how much you reverence it. It's meant to be used. It is meant to be followed. In fact, according to this, it is meant for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, which is what we're going to talk about in just a second. Useful. (laughs) Now, there's something else you need to understand about the Word of God. This is how Luke begins his gospel. Now, remember, it's God's Word, and it is God-breathed, but here's how Luke begins it. And just listen to this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. One other thing to read to you, this is that of 2 Peter, chapter 3. This is what... Uh, Peter writes, Dear friends, this is, how my second, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. He later on goes on to talk about Paul's writing and how it is hard to understand for some people. Here's the point that I want you to get from this. Scripture is inspired by God. It is written by human beings. And it contains the personalities and writing styles and backgrounds of the human beings who wrote it. So, anybody ever wanted to learn Greek? No? Okay. Well, if you ever decide you want to learn Greek, one of the first things you're going to study is the Gospel of John. Do you know why? It's some of the easiest Greek in the New Testament. One of the things you're going to look at last are some of Luke's writings, because he has some very complex things, or some of Paul's really super long sentences. When Peter says some things that Paul writes are hard to understand for some people, they really are. I mean, have you read some of Paul's writings? Sometimes you come away and you're kind of like, I'm not sure what he just said. It's also filled with stories and poetry and law and history. It's different styles. So here's what you know about the scriptures. They are inspired by God, but they contain the personalities and the backgrounds of the people who wrote them. They contain the time period. They are written to a particular time period. When Paul is writing to churches, he writes certain things to particular churches because they're going through things. Think of this. This is the illustration that I have in mind. Recently, I saw a picture of a man sitting on a chair, but the chair was still connected to the ground. It was a tree that the guy had 
over time, he had made its branches, shaped them into a tree. I mean, into a chair. It's still growing. Like, you can see him sitting in it, and up above him, you can still see it growing. And I started researching this. There's this entire thing where people shape trees. So these trees are still growing. They're real trees. They haven't pulled them out of the ground. These aren't branches that are separated. They're still growing. But over time, they have shaped these trees into all kinds of incredible things. Here's the thing. They could not do that alone. They can't make the tree grow. The tree needs sunlight. The tree needs everything that a tree needs that God has provided for that thing to actually grow. Now, they can shape it in certain ways, although even that is limited. They can't make it do anything. But they can shape what God is building. Scripture is something like that. The human beings that God used to write the scriptures, they've imprinted on those scriptures some of their own personalities. I mean, Mark's gospel, one of Mark's favorite words is immediately. He uses it over and over and over again. And if you read Mark's gospel, it's a fast-moving gospel. He doesn't waste time on any one story. It's like he tells it, and then he moves on, and moves on, and moves on, and moves on. Matthew, Luke, they're not quite like that. John is really not like that. You read John, John has these lengthy stories. I mean, the story of the the woman at the well, it takes the entire chapter four to tell. You don't have any of that in any other gospels. They don't use entire chapters to tell stories because the way that people thought and what they thought was important, God used all of that. So let the scriptures speak as the scriptures are. Let the authors speak as God inspired them to speak. So the nature of Scripture, it is inspired by God. It is God's word. It is the one place where we find complete truth about who God is and what God asks of people. It is also written by people. And we've got to see that in there. And let them speak and let their personalities and let the stories and the history be what it is. But its purpose, at least one of its purposes, are these four things right here. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I will briefly break each of those down. Teaching. It is general When we read the scriptures, we are intended to learn about who God is, about what God desires, about what God values, about the way of God for God's people. We are meant to learn. But number two, we are meant to be rebuked. We are meant to be reformed. We are meant to read the scriptures And when the scriptures say, you should be doing this, going this direction, and if we're being honest and we're reading the scriptures and they say we should be going this direction, we're supposed to read the scriptures and go, oh, I'm being rebuked, I'm being reformed. I need to turn and start going this other direction. 
And every one of us make mistakes. I mean, let me just you know point mine out this morning. So um, my wife was glancing at the bulletin on my computer, and I'd like you all just to look at the front page. And just look at the title of my series. The Three Steams. There really should be an R in there. I'm not even sure what three steams are. It reminds me of like geysers or something coming up. I'm not exactly sure. Or it's going to be a very steamy service. I'm not sure. But we all make mistakes. We all go wrong directions. Especially in the way of God. Because we're all sinful. Every one of us is selfish in one way or another. And we like the things that we like. But the scriptures are meant to kind of hold up a mirror and go, I want you to take a look at yourself. And I want you to look at the scriptures. What's it telling you? What do the scriptures say about anger and greed and lust and pride? And how is your life? And when the two things aren't in harmony, it's meant to rebuke us, to say, snap out of it. Look the other direction. It is also meant to correct, which I know that sounds kind of similar, rebuking, correcting. Really, it might mean something a little more like improve, make better. Um, It could be in this case, I'm going a direction that is correct, but I need to go further. I'm not going far enough. I am starting to practice forgiveness, but God doesn't want me just to forgive person A and B. Oh no. He wants me to forgive person C, that one person I don't even want to think about forgiving. Correcting here is improving or or going further. And then lastly, training in righteousness. The development of regular daily habits in our lives that move us toward holiness, that move us toward being like Jesus. We all know what this means in other areas of our lives. How many people in here, you know, you raise your hand, how many of you exercise? If you do it consistently, it's probably because you've developed habits of exercising. You develop things you do consistently, regularly, and guess what happens when we do regular things? They start to impact our lives. So in this case, the scriptures are meant to help us develop daily habits of holiness to move us toward being like Jesus. That's the point of the scriptures, or at least one of them, one of their purposes. So put this together. You've got the holy word of God that is inspired by God himself that is teaching us who he is and what his ways are. Then we have us as the people of God who get to open that word, begin to read that word, and has this ever happened to you? Have you ever read through a portion of scripture and what you got out of it was a moment of reading And the moment it was done, you moved on to the rest of your life, and it went in one ear and out the other, and you don't remember a thing you really read. 
Ever had that happen? I think that is a lot of the experience of people reading the scriptures. But what if instead, what if we took the sermon and just one passage in a week, and when we sat down to read them, or when we listened to the message being preached, we thought about how am I learning? How can I be rebuked? How can I improve in this area of my life? And is there a habit I need to develop that will increase holiness in my life? Instead of just, I read it and I'm moving on and I've checked the box. That's what scripture is intended to be. And all of those things. So I've done something for the first time now. I used a snowblower. I mean, this might surprise you, but in Texas, there is no need of snowblowers. We're not even sure what they are. We've seen them as some fantasy in other parts of the country, but not in Texas. In Texas, if we get that occasional snow or ice, we just lock ourselves in our house for a couple of days and the sun comes out and it's 70 degrees and it all goes away. That's what you do in Texas. But I was told here from day one, I think the very first thing I was told, I think it was by Craig, by a snowblower. Like for anything else, you don't need a house, you need a snowblower. So I got a snowblower. And, and my neighbor doesn't have one. <laughs> but he wanted to use mine. So I got to snowblow. And, and here's what I've learned, at least with mine. Um, one, I've learned you need to figure out which way the wind is blowing. Because I got out there, and I mean, this sucker will throw snow 60 feet. It has power. So when you walk out, and it's going this way, and the wind is going this way, guess what? You enter a blizzard from the moment you are doing it. It's like, <laughs> so you figure out which way the wind is going. Then you go down, and you do your whole driveway, and you keep flipping that thing, and you make sure it's not going onto the driveway. But then when you're done, there's still stuff there. So then you pull out your shovel, and you kind of go down the driveway that way, and you get that off. Then if I really want to do a good job, I take the salt, and I put that out there, and then my driveway is beautiful and immaculate. But it took teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness for all of that to happen. Or at least getting a snowblower, knowing which way the wind was going, using the snowblower, using the shovel, using the salt, all of it was necessary to make that driveway holy. God wants holy driveways for our lives. And it's going to take all of it to make that happen. But we can do it because we've been given the word of God. The only question is, will it really be our foundation? Will it really be something that daily we think on and, more importantly, we allow to impact us to actually change us. And it's not going to be easy, I promise. I mean, that much I can guarantee you. Because God is absolutely going to call you to things that you don't want to do. Because holiness is hard. However, we have the Spirit, and we're going to talk about Him in two weeks. We have each other. And we have the wonderful grace and love of God in our lives to keep working with us as we work toward holiness. So, the Tower of Pisa, 
could fix it, but you can't fix that foundation. You can't fix that soil. So here's what they think right now. What they think is it's good for the next two to 300 years. But then it's either going to fall down or they're going to have to do more to it to fix it. Because they didn't actually fix the foundation. What is the foundation of your life? If you were being honest, if the word of God were teaching you and rebuking you and correcting you and training you, what is the true foundation? Is it your pride? Is it dreams that you have for your life? Is it the desire to be loved or liked or looked up to? Reputation? What's really what you're living out of? Because the foundation is not the word of God. You are continuing to lean. And you will keep leaning. And at some point, you're going to crash one way or another. You can't just fix a foundation. You have to have the right foundation. The scripture is our foundation. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that we truly can say it's the word of God inspired. Lord, help us. Help us to read your word and to really let it impact us with all of the grace and love that is part of your character, not pointing fingers at us, not shaming us, not trying to create guilt in us, but lovingly trying to help us become all that you want us to be, all that we're capable of being in you, the kind of abundant life that Jesus promised to his people. Lord, help us leave this place and take your scriptures more seriously. Allow them to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.